So if you've been watching our stuff on YouTube, a lot of questions. What are the pots and pans? Uh, what kind of any days are we using? What's our silverware? We're getting a lot of inbounds. But a lot of people ask, what kind of plates do we use? We use East Fork Pottery, and we use Adam Field Pottery. Um, you can check out Adam Field. He makes all the Korean ongis, and he makes some amazing plates as well. You can follow him on Instagram. He just made some ongis for Ann Kim's new restaurant in Minneapolis. And East Fork Pottery is our plate of choice at Major Domo. We use it in a lot of our restaurants as well. They make a great coffee mug. They're based out of North Carolina. Very thoughtfully made, very well-designed, and very sturdy. And you can get 15% off when you visit their website at East Fork Pottery when you put in the code Friend of Dave. It's also a good Christmas present. And again, everybody needs to figure out what Christmas time presents are, what, what it is. It's currently, we're filming this December 8th. You have time. And whether it's any day, whether it's our friends at Cometeer or Athletic Brewing, you can get some good gifts. And East Fork Pottery is a wonderful gift for the holiday season. Or if you just want to buy it for yourself and upgrade, you can buy some beautiful plateware or some nice coffee mugs for yourself. Use Friend of Dave, uh, promo code 15% off at East Fork Pottery. You have me solo today. We're going to do a three things, a... 2023 Spotify wrapped review, a pro football weekly. And uh, let's get on to the show. Other day, a friend of mine brought in his teenage son. And there's a little bit of like career advice. And man, it's got to be hard being a teenager today. Number one, social media would make it extremely difficult if I had to be a teenager all over again. I, I felt for this kid because clearly he's not loving high school. He's not extremely sociable. And you get the sort of idea that when you're a teenager, that you are the only person that feels this way. I would say that most people probably don't like high school. Most people don't want to be as gregarious and, you know, maybe, maybe taking a little break. You may be taking a little bit of a break. And I find myself getting this question quite a bit, whether it's online, when I meet people, now that I'm out and about in the world, I do get a lot of career advice. And you know, they're 16, 17 years old. And I keep on wondering to myself, if somebody was trying to tell me what to do, would I listen to anything they had to say at the time? And the answer is probably not. So I don't know if this is going to be applicable for a teenager, but I do get a lot of career advice for career changers. Hey, should I enter the culinary world? Or people that are in the culinary world, they ask, hey, am I ready to open up a restaurant, etc. And I'm going to repeat some things that I've said time and time again in this podcast. Number one, you cannot edit in your head. You cannot envision what the scenario is actually going to be without collecting any data, without any life experience, without engaging with the world at large. So we all do it. I'm guilty of it. Instead of doing the work, again, I sound like Jerry Saltz here. You got to do the fucking work to get the result that you want. And I always think about when, say, someone's putting a dish on for the first time, they inevitably always want to skip sort of the first 25 versions of the dish and get to, say, you know, version 50 immediately. And I always say, if you actually put in the work and you do each iteration of that dish, more than likely, if you get to version 50, your final dish won't look like anything else 
that you had envisioned. It's going to be completely different. And I think by doing that, you start to imprint yourself in that dish. You start to see things that other people can't see. You start to make mistakes that other people can't make. So, you know, I'm talking to this teenager and they already have their next five to 10 years mapped out and how miserable it's going to be. And the reality is, They're not doing any of the work. And whether you're a teenager, a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, or sometimes I have to remind myself, the worst thing you can do is just be inert and not do anything. So I think a good book to remind everyone is David Epstein's Range. I know we talked about Adam, Adam Grant's last book, but I read Range again. If you look in our catalog, we have a great podcast pre-pandemic with David Epstein. And he was recently on Pablo Torre's podcast talking about AI. He's just an amazing researcher and writer, journalist. But that book was very powerful for me. And you know everything I'm trying to say, I think you can find in that book. So for anyone that's asking for career advice, read that book and get off your ass and just do the work. And I feel like the number one thing that people edit in their heads about what they want to do, or if they have an idea that they want to pursue, the number one killer of those pursuits is everyone's going to laugh at me. People are think it's stupid, etc. They're worried about how it's going to be perceived, whatever it may be. And I got to say, I remember telling a lot of my friends cooking was going to be the profession that I chose. I also remember Nick Kroll telling we have similar group of friends that he was going to become a comedian and everyone thought, well, that's not going to happen. Dave, you're a terrible cook and Nick, you're not even that funny. And sure enough, we pursued something that interested us and we came out the other side and I think we're much better for it. And many of our friends are doing jobs they don't want to do. So again, loving your job isn't necessarily loving it 100% of the time. I always think about it as loving your job is 51% loving it versus the eternal battle of 49% hating it. But you got to tune out what you think people are going to say and whatever it may be. You know, there's a kid that I grew up with that just played video games and he's a really big video gamer. He's like in esports and he's extremely successful. Listen, if you said 35 years ago that I'm just going to make a career playing video games, I think people would laugh at you. That's just the reality. You have no idea what your career or what your pursuit will actually result into. So making mistakes gives you a point of view. Doing things that you don't think makes sense is going to pay dividends. I always think if I didn't take that job teaching English in Japan, right? I've got, I, I'm sorry if I'm repeating themes here, but I think about this quite a bit. You can't connect the dot until after the fact, but if I didn't teach English because I didn't want to teach English and I only was there for three months, my first go around in Japan, I don't know if I open up Momofuku. I don't know if I have any domain expertise about noodles. And I think for some period of time, I probably knew more about ramen from an American perspective than anybody in America. And that was just a passion of mine. And I happened to have some experience and I only ate at this ramen restaurant once. And I saw a question, we'll get to it later. It was in Izumi Tatori. I don't know if it's still there. And Izumi Tatori is not a town that is on anyone's map in Japan, but it's a very famous ramen shop. And I ate there once. I've talked about it a lot. And I eat there. It's delicious. I'll never forget the flavors. It was extremely delicious. I come back and I don't pursue a career in cooking quite yet. But a few years later, I can draw upon that experience, even though I wasn't planning on being a cook in 1999. And 
you know, you, you just don't know whatever it is you're going to do. And I've had all kinds of jobs, really have had all kinds of jobs. So to my friend that I was giving this advice to, I doubt that he's listening to this, but I do know that there are a lot of inbounds about career advice. I think you just got to put your head down and do it. And if you don't like the job, move on to the next job. The worst thing you can do is just sit on your ass and do nothing. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Let's get on to the pod properly. We're going to do a three things. You know, has asked me, what are my favorite, who are my favorite comedians, past or present? It's funny. The first person that I'm going to say, I immediately was so angry when it happened. It was Shane Gillis, and he was uh, going to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live. And then someone brought up some anti-racist, uh, anti-Asian jokes that he brought up, and I was I was pissed. I don't even remember what he said. And I gotta say, I watched. I I, I never watched anything of him. And he has a, a a recent Netflix special, and I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't realize that he has a rabid following. But again, I found it funny. I don't know if it's like acceptable to say that he's funny, but I thought it was fucking funny. Uh, my wife thought he was funny. And I know a lot of people that I'm friends with thought it was funny, but they can't proclaim it out loud. Anyway, I thought it was pretty fucking funny. So that's the most recent show that I've seen on TV. I always use Eddie Murphy as a benchmark. Delirious, raw, growing up. Back in the day, you would have cassette tapes of comedy shows. I remember my brothers trying to play Richard Pryor. I remember my brothers having audio of Eddie Murphy. And it seemed like a forbidden fruit to me of being able to not just understand it, but being able to watch it because it was seen, it seemed back then so crude and uh, vulgar. But I always knew Eddie Murphy as uh, Buckwheat from Saturday Night Live or Gumby. But to me, he's always the benchmark uh, of somebody that I think was so important in my life as a comedian. You know, I think you put Seinfeld in there. I think a lot of people like Seinfeld. I think today, another person that say, you, you know, if you say you like Dave Chappelle today, I think it's pretty de- uh, divisive. Um, but I don't think so. For me, I still think he's the one of the funniest people, probably the funniest person out there. And again, this isn't a, a, a conversation about anything other than I'm answering question, who are some of my favorite comedians. And I appreciate Dave Chappelle and I find him to be very, very funny. And I, I understand why some people may not find him funny. So I'm just stating my opinion. Please don't look into anything other than that. But I think he's probably the fun, one of the funniest people that's ever <laughs> been born. I also, I also love Pete Cat Williams. Cat Williams, I think for a period, was probably the number one comedian. If you see some of his specials, I haven't seen a cat in a, in a while, but there was a good stretch where I feel like when I would talk to other comedians and 
There were a lot of comedians in my life. I mentioned Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll and John Mulaney used to play at Rafifi's on 11th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue, close to 1st Street. It was a bar and there was a a small stage in the back. And as they were sort of struggling to make a name for themselves, they would come by our restaurant on 10th Street, 1st Avenue. I've known Nick for many, many years. And that, that world where you have, you know, in New York in your 20s, I don't know what it's like to be in your 20s in New York today, but I always think that we lived in, everyone likes to think that when they lived in New York, it was the best period ever. But we lived in a period where it was still undiscoverable before social media, before smartphones. And you sort of had to navigate these pockets of culture, whether it was in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, before Williamsburg became super cool. But the East Village comedy scene was something that, you know, sort of like was was growing around me and through Nick Kroll and met Aziz and all other comedians that were up and coming, trying to make a name for themselves. And I fed a lot of them and I befriended a lot of them. So, you know, thinking about that, I've gotten to know a lot of comedians and I can't tell you who's the best, who's my favorite, but I've, I really enjoy seeing stand up. And I think that comedians are so important in culture. I really love Ali Wong's last special. That was probably the only thing I saw live during the pandemic. And I recently saw John Mulaney's special with uh, John Stewart when he was out here in Pasadena. I thought, Mulaney's new stand-up, I'm sure it's going to be a Netflix special soon, is extremely funny. Probably the best one he's ever done. So those are my my favorite comedians. I'm sure I've missed a ton. I'm sure I've missed a ton. But yeah, those those are my those are my guys. How about you? I'm with you on the Chappelle thing. I think Chappelle is extremely funny, but he's also like probably the best storyteller of, of comedians I've seen. Bernie Mac is up there for me. Cedric the Entertainer, those kings of comedy. I mean, Chris guys. Rock. Yeah, Chris Rock. Yeah, those are some some all-time greats. So I asked for three and you gave me like 10. This is amazing. There we go. Anyway, let's take a break. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. We are a Spotify podcast available everywhere, but we're recording in Spotify. You know, had the bright idea to say, what is my Spotify wrapped, my top 10? And I think my musical choice has stopped growing, quite frankly. You can see different pockets of time, and I'm going to digress for a little bit. You know, I always think about immigrant food, right? Korean food in Sydney, Australia, up until like 10 years ago, was like stuck in a time warp in the 1960s, 1970s. I always think about my dad's maturity level and his desire to learn more about the world really stopped growing around the age of like probably 25, 26 years old, right? 
you know, it's giving me a funny face, but if you ask yourself, have you progressed your knowledge in culture as much as it used to be? And I'd probably say for most people, I can't speak on behalf of everyone. It's got to be less because life happens. Work happens. You get older. Interests change. But music was such a huge part of my life. I mentioned comedians. We also had, I mean, when I think about comedians, like they all used to come in and shit, I should probably <laughs> write down some of this funny shit that happened, but also musicians. Yeah, it was, it was skateboarders, musicians, and uh, comedians. That was at the center of a lot of things back in the day. And we would play music, oftentimes extremely loud, and we play a lot of music that you weren't supposed to play in a restaurant. And if you're standing in a small 600-square-foot open kitchen, as we did, managing the stereo, the the very first iPods, that was like a full-time job. And at the time, it was really hard to find equilibrium for volume, so you're changing it up and down all the time because each song had different volume. <clears throat> but... um. I would probably say that my musical tastes have stopped for probably around the age of 30, 32. I know nothing about modern music today. I know nothing. I mean, let me just put aside the whole techno EDM shit because again, I don't understand it. It just, it, again, it's music that only sounds good on drugs. I don't know if that's music. For me, that's how you know Molly's working. It sounds pretty good. But um, food tastes stop. You know what I mean? Like all of these things stop. I think for me, my musical tastes have not developed as much as I'd like. So I probably need to spend some time to, to vary my musical taste. And clearly, I, I need to start reading some more as well. But um, I'll give you my top 10. And just fair warning, my top 10, this is exactly the top 10 on my Spotify list, even though it gives you like 25 are fucked up because you'll see some of those songs just don't make any sense. But if you have kids, they do. So I was surprised that the number one song that I played last year was by Cat Power. And it was a song, Manhattan. Great song. Cat Power is great. Sometimes Always by Jesus and Mary Chain was number two. This was a surprise. (laughs) I don't know how. Let's hear it for the boys by Denise Williams. Can you look up what was that a soundtrack to? Is it in Karate Kid or is it in Top Gun? I think it's Karate Kid. No, Footloose, right? Let's hear for the boys by Denise Williams was Footloose. Wow, talk about a great movie. Number four, and here's a Hugo song. Happy by Pharrell Williams. Listen to that a lot. This is not a Hugo song. These Days by Nico. Definitely not a Hugo song. Next one, definitely a Hugo song. Hakuna Matata off the Lion King soundtrack. This is a, a song that was introduced to me by uh, Sid from La Savvy Fav. And uh, he sent me a playlist that was wonderful. And he is on the G4 band on uh, Seth Meyers show as well. And also he runs French Kiss Records. Are You With Me by Kate LeBon is amazing song. It's very, very good. Kate LeBon I listened to that quite a bit. I thought that would have been higher. This is also a Hugo song, but also a song that I like a lot. It's California Stars with Billy Bragg and Wilco. That is Hugo Chang's favorite song. Currently, I will tell you, next year's 2024 list will probably have Bohemian Rhapsody as the number one song because he loves the chorus part. He loves the the, the acapella, you know, part where they start singing. Like mama, woo, whatever. All day. That's what he sings. Next down is a actually a Hugo song, but I'll also say that I like it quite a bit. It's Shut Down by Blackpink. That is Hugo Chang's favorite Blackpink song. And the next one is definitely a me song. It's Sycamore by Bill Callahan. You may know him as Smog. And uh, he's off Drag City Records, a great, great record label. So those are my Spotify top 10. You knows. I'm looking at you knows right now. The fact that he's listening to Megadeth, that's, you know, people like System of a Down. I, I don't like that. No, I'm giving you know Spotify top 10 a, a D minus. Hold up. Dave, there's no EDM on here. No, but 
I Shot the Sheriff is what a freshman in college okay. plays. So here's what happened. I have an explanation for all of this. All right. If you're going to introduce Bob Marley to your son, it shouldn't be I Shot the Sheriff. Okay. It's you're not better that. off playing Eric Clapton's cover. Oh, God. Okay. I'm not even going to go there. Here's what happened, Dave. I'm kind of in a similar space as you, where like my musical taste is not really branching out as much and it's starting to go more inward again and kind of like trying to recapture feelings. I shot the sheriff as a total accident. I left it on on repeat while I was like doing something for recipe club where I kept singing to myself like, I shot the sheriff, but I didn't. No, no, we understand. We know what the lyrics are. We know what the lyrics are. So like I was just working on recipe club and listened to it in the background. I left it on on repeat for like two days and I didn't even know. Well, that's that's how (laughs) that's not an excuse. The rest of this is my workout playlist. And it's just like exactly in sequence. That's my workout playlist. So like it's literally just my workout playlist. Your workout playlist is uh, (laughs) are you an angry white male? (laughs) Apparently, yes. Yes. Well, you are from Orange County. So, all right. That's my top 10. Listen, if I had to pick out some bands that if you didn't know, if you haven't listened to, I love Jesus and Mary Chain uh, very much. Bill Callahan, I love quite a bit. I love Early Wilco. I don't like anything after Yankee Hotel Fox, Foxtrot. I think everything post that is literally the worst version of Dad Rock. I've mentioned my my love of The Velvet Underground and Nico. I love that Nico can't sing at all. What else? Kate LeBon is super good. I will tell you one thing, one band that I've been listening to a lot the past couple months, mainly because of their, their breakup, really. It's Hall & Oates. Hall & Oates. If you haven't listened to Hall & Oates in a while, they're very good. They're very, very good. I love me some Hall & Oates. All right, let's take a break. You got an ass, Dave. Your favorite ramen spot in Japan. I live in Japan now, near Yokohama, and we'll be doing some traveling over the next few months before we move back to the States. I would love to try Dave's favorite ramen, so I'm wondering if he remembers the exact place. So this is a, I, I, I just spoke about being dated and not having modern knowledge about things in culture. My ramen knowledge really stops 2010, 2011 in Japan proper. A lot of the places that I loved, I don't know even exist. My favorite ramen when I lived there that I would eat a lot was called Aoba, A-O-B-A. They were one of the real, they helped bring the, the practice of the double dip. So it's a double tare, right? So that's probably commonplace right now in Japan. I have not kept up to date with, you know, wafu style ramen. And I love that it was intensely fishy. Taishoken to me is always the classic, but I know that Taishoken has branches everywhere now, but the original shop that's no longer open in Higishi Ikeburo, I remember literally waiting almost three and a half hours my first time there. And I was still in, a, I'm still in amazement that I could be like a hundred people like deep, right? There like, seems like a thousand people, but I'm like number 100. And then they take my order with paper. And then I sit down and my order's ready. And it was just a beautiful system. And my God, my memory is fading me. The one that we've featured in Mind of a Chef in the subway, the subway in Tokyo uh, Central, uh, Tokyo Station, that also has a branch in Haneda Airport on the international side. Afuri Ramen is just down the street right now, but I haven't had that here in America. But Afuri was one of the first shops that did real yuzu-forward citrus-based ramen. But there's so much good ramen in Japan. And I just gave you some stuff that's like, I, I basically was giving you the equivalent of basketball players from like the 1970s. I was talking like George Mikan and shit like that. So it's pretty antiquated and old, but some of them are still around, obviously. I don't know what the modern thing in, in Tokyo ramen is right now. And when I say Tokyo, it's 
that's where most of the, I would say, innovation happens. There was a stretch probably in the mid-teens of the 2000s where we thought that, I thought that chicken ramen was going to make a comeback because it was the antithesis of tonkotsu ramen, which I don't love. I will eat. I just don't love how it became so widespread. I think that it can be done well, but it's also, I'm not trying to be super critical here. It's not easy to make, but it can cover up a lot of, I wouldn't say mistakes, but it's just not for me occasionally. But that seems to be the ramen of choice here in America. And that's why I've always said it's the EDM of ramen. <laughs> it's just super loud, so much sweetness, so much salt, so much umami, a lot of fat. It can't Not that it can't be delicious, but it's just not my cup of tea. I, I really want the cleaner broths. I do know that there's some shops that were becoming well-known for their more seafood-based broths. Those are much more difficult. I think the level of difficulty to do clean broths, almost consummate-like, are almost impossible to do well. And that's why... In terms of level of difficulty, I would always put my allegiance towards the ramen yas that are super, super clean. So I, I probably didn't answer anything. But again, if you're in Southern Japan, you know, the Hakata style, the tonkotsu broth, that makes a lot more sense because it's re- the regionality. It's much more milky pork-based broth. And clearly when you get to Sapporo, it's the miso and the butter. And again, that makes sense because of the cold weather. But Tokyo style to me was always a little bit more soy-based but I couldn't tell you what is in vogue right now or the best ramen shops. So apologies, but I used to know. I used to have a running list of all of that shit, but I'm sure you could probably just ask ChatGPT and it'll give you a good good list. Anyway, that was from Discord user, world's favorite. All right, so good luck. Also, Yokohama's got great food. Yokohama is literally like, I would say, in terms of distance. It's probably Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, but not really. They're like two cities that are right next to each other. Yokohama also has like 8 million people, but Yokohama is also known for its Chinese food. It had a really large Chinese population. It's a port city and the the, the gyoza museum is there. But you, if you go there, you will find a whole host of really excellent Chinese restaurants and there's some good Peking duck shops there in Yokohama. I like Yokohama quite a bit. Anyway, the good thing about Japan is you don't need to listen to me. Everywhere is pretty good. It's one of the few cities in the world, probably the only city in the world where it's really fucking hard to find a bad meal, right? It's really fucking hard to find a bad meal. They do exist for sure, but very hard, very hard to find. Bad restaurants, bad food. I actually worked at one of them when I first lived in Japan, so I know they exist, but most of everywhere you buy food, it's going to be outstanding. All right, guys, we're back. We have the dying on the vine, PFFW, uh, because our algorithm is dead broke. Last week, I chose the New England Patriots to lose to the Steelers, and uh, Bailey Zappi wound up having one of the best games on Thursday Night Football. And I think the the best part of Thursday Night Football for me, if you stay to the very end, the after, after the show, it's for the East Coast, it's uh, probably past midnight. Richard Sherman stacked some cups and some like paperweights. I don't know how he did it on live TV, but he did it. Shout out to Richard Sherman. I love him. He's the fucking best. But um, I wasn't there for the game. I will not be, I don't know if I'm going to be at the game next week, but I'll be in Las Vegas. We're going to be filming something that'll be airing today with a special guest. I can't say who, but he's a, he is a comedian, (laughs) very well-known comedian. And we're going to be talking about buffets. We're going to be stuffing our face and I'm going to give you all like a rundown of how to do things properly. And again, the the central theme to buffet eating to me is 
How do you eat as much as you can in line? How do you eat as much as you can without anyone else thinking that you've eaten a lot? And how do you hide as much? Basically, it's, it's doing everything in secret, right? And knowing how to stack the deck to your favor, knowing when and how to go to the meat slicing station, avoiding the carbs to the very end. There, there, there is a method to the madness, and we're going to get into that on uh, what we're going to film. So excited for that. Anyway, I'm doing my best to not talk about our record, which is 6-16 six and 16 this year. I don't know what that percentage is, but I don't even know if that's a good baseball average. It's an average baseball average. But I did put here that uh, Jordan Poole has a higher three-point percentage than we do picking football games, which is uh, it's pretty dark. Anyway, Bailey Zappi was absolute fire, and I apologize to the state of New England, the, the region of New England, for discounting your cuisine in the moment. Remember, it's the five S's, and it's just in that moment when the game is played, you know, the Steelers-Pittsburgh area just didn't come through. So apologies, kudos to you guys. A New England Clam Chowder wins again. You know, what, what am I going to say? Anyway, this week, in Las Vegas, the Raiders are hosting the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Raiders are one and a half point underdogs. I'm going to go with Antonio Pierce, and I'm going to go with the Raiders by seven points because the Chargers are losers. I will, I will say this though. I was at a game. Who did they play recently? Fuck, I can't remember who they played. They lost, but I was watching the game in the WME Suites. We had all access eating. So a lot of these suites, you have access to extraordinary food. So again, I've never experienced anything like that, except maybe at the Washington Nationals game. I had the best salad of the year at the Charger Stadium. It was a winter salad with pomegranates, butternut squash, frisee, chicory. And I took a photo of it. I might, I might post it because I was so shocked at how delicious it was. It was like a perfect salad and I didn't expect it to be at a football stadium. And that was the highlight of the game for me. Oh, they were playing the Lions and I was stuck with a bunch of fucking Lions fans. Anyway, I think the Chargers, I don't believe in them, but I believe in Antonio Pierce. I hope that he gets the call to be the head coach next year. And we'll, we'll, let me explain why the Raiders and Las Vegas are going to beat Los Angeles in the five S's. Steakhouses, I think Los Angeles has, I mean, Pacific Dining Car closed. They have Musso and Franks. Las Vegas has steakhouses galore. All Las Vegas has is steakhouses. Like if you go dining, it's steakhouse in every casino and they're all fucking really good, including Golden Steer, classic restaurant. If you think about Los Angeles steakhouses, you got Cut by Wolfgang Puck, but Cut by Wolfgang Puck is also in Las Vegas. What Los Angeles has is Musso and Franks, probably one of my favorite restaurants of all time but it doesn't beat the, the sheer numbers of steakhouses in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is America's steakhouse town. So there's no fucking chance LA is going to win. Seafood. We got great seafood here in Los Angeles. Great seafood. Wasn't always the case. Providence clearly is a two Michelin star restaurant that should be three. Fucking Michelin guide. I don't know what the fuck you're thinking, but it's a three Michelin star restaurant that has been known to fit, focus on, on on seafood. And we got the joint, we got great restaurants serving great seafood. But Las Vegas, every fucking casino has amazing seafood. And I think a lot of that happened when, uh, I, I realized this when Paul Bortolota, the great chef from uh, Milwaukee, one of the great chefs America's ever produced, he had his restaurant Bortolota at the win. I was blown away at the quality of seafood that he was getting. I know this because we have restaurants in Las Vegas. Every casino gets super fucking good seafood. The quality is 
unparalleled. It really is for America, right? The quality of seafood is why Las Vegas is going to win. And I'm not even including one of the best restaurants in all of Las Vegas, and that's Palace Station Oyster Bar, the Palace Casino, which is a real local spot. Don't need to talk about it because everyone seems to know about it these days, and you can get your oyster pan roast. So seafood, and we're not talking about sushi, right? I think, you know, I'd probably say LA's got a a lead on sushi, but uh, yeah, this is where it's going to get me in trouble. LA sushi is not New York sushi. Everyone in LA is like, oh, we got the best sushi. No, you don't. No, you don't. You got great sushi. Sugarfish is great. Nozawa is great, but that's also available in New York now. I'm talking about the top, top tier sushi. New York is where it's at. There are some great, great Japanese sushi restaurants here, but it's not as good as in New York. You know, did I just get myself in trouble? No, but like when you say LA sushi is great and then you just drop like a sugar fish, like there's so many. <laughs> Come on. If you ask most people in Los Angeles, they'll say sugar fish. People love fucking sugar fish. God. Yeah. What yeah. Jerry and Nozawa have done is remarkable. Fair. But I, I don't even know the names of some of the sushi spots. And they're really good sushi spots here. I'm not saying that they're not, there's not great sushi. But I feel that if you want the top tier, right? The, the top, top, top tier of sushi in America, it is in New York City right now. Sandwich. I'm, I'm going to give this to Los Angeles. And I'm definitely not including Bay Cities. No offense, Bay Cities. But again, you don't put fucking mustard on an Italian sub. <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing. It really is. I'm just simply going to say it's Langer's number 19. Langer's, in my opinion, the best pastrami in America. Full stop. It's the bread. I mean, I could argue that maybe Katz's actual beef is better, but this isn't like me when I said, like Pete Wells saying that Nakazawa doesn't have the best rice in New York City. (laughs) You know, that's just stupid. Langer's. If you haven't had a Langer's sandwich, you should. So I'm giving LA the sandwich. I'm also going to give LA the sweets simply because of the quality. You have Sherry Yard, you have Nancy Silverton, you have some of the best modern young pastry chefs here in America or here in Los Angeles. I think the sweets, LA wins. But the special so- special teams, right? The special sauce, that's Las Vegas. I'm not even talking about the sauce. We're talking about everything, right? LA has, if you think about the greater Los Angeles area, you have Sriracha by Hui Foods, right? Which is going through a shortage right now. But Vegas has everything, man. And I am going to say this. I think Vegas is the best eating city in America. It is. Tell me I'm wrong. That is bold. What does it not have? Man, does it? Oh. What does it not have? Off the strip, on the strip, it's got everything. It's got every fast food. It's got pizza's gotten better. It's got great seafood. I would say the Chinese food in America, the best Chinese food in America is in Las Vegas. It's got all the steakhouses. What? Over the SGV? I would say yes. That is, ooh, I would say about yes. getting in trouble. Listen, I'm talking about a select handful of restaurants in the Las Vegas casino group area. I mean, so if you trot out like Vegas's best, you're saying if you trot out like Vegas's best versus the SGV's best or LA's Vegas best, wins, Vegas wins. Okay, but like you know what? If you think of it that way, listen, and you got all shoots of everything. You got you got Patsy's Pizza. You got. You even have Don DeMarco's joint. His kids opened up a place in Caesars. It's got everything. What, do you, what does Vegas have culinary-wise that it, it needs? Yeah, it could use some more diversity, X, Y, and Z. But like Lotus Asylum is amazing. It's so good. What? Why do you laugh? <laughs> good diversity. You're like, oh, Lotus Asylum. Like- I forgot about Lotus Asylum. It's so good. <laughs> but- Every time I'm at Lotus Asylum, I eat so much, I feel terrible. <laughs> Actually... 
Yeah, and their wine selection is pretty good. They have a great wine list. Yeah. Great, great, great wine list. No, so in the middle of the desert, big shout out to Wolfgang Puck for being the first chef for opening up, I don't know how many years ago, and John George for opening up Prime at the Bellagio. And I guess you have to give a lot of credit to Steve Wynn for making it a culinary destination back in the day. But I think over 30 years, it's become the place to work. I think for a cook, you're going to get incredible benefits. You're going to get paid a lot of money. There's no state tax. And you're going to learn from some of the very best restaurants and best chefs in the world. So I'm I'm pro Vegas. Clearly, I'm biased. But Vegas, Vegas is it all. And the food halls in Vegas make fucking sense. Cosmo... The, God, we bong bars there, but they got everything. They got everything. There's another one at the Aria that's delicious. I just don't know what Vegas doesn't have food-wise. And yeah, does it have the charm of New York City or some of the other great cities in America? No. But for culinary eating and just destination dining and just stuffing your face, I think Vegas is as good as it gets in America right now. And it's not going to get worse, that's for sure. What about South Asian food? I think that was like one of the major like weaknesses I saw in Vegas's repertoire was like a really great Indian spot. Well, guess what? Tokyo is the best food city in the world and Southeast Asian food sucks in Tokyo. So you're, you're never going to have a perfect, perfect, holistic list of everything. But isn't that what makes LA great is that they've got pretty much more of it than anybody. The difference is, is in Las Vegas, off the strip, in the strip, on the strip or off strip, I should say. Let's just say only on the strip. Everything is located in a tight, concise area. That's what I like. So it's clear. We have one, two, we have three to two. That's why that's why the Raiders are going to win. And I get I give you the Dave Chang guarantee that I'm not going to lose this one. This is not financial advice, but I give you the guarantee. Raiders by seven. And check out the buffet with our special guest. That's going to air tonight on Amazon Prime, Thursday Night Football. Um, I don't think I'm going to be there on the live broadcast. Uh, We are really busy at Major Domo Studios with a project that I think we'll be able to announce soon. And it's stressing the shit out of me. So I'm I'm making everyone's life around me extremely miserable, I think, because of my anxiety about this. But uh, it's a very exciting opportunity, and hopefully we'll be able to announce it soon. Maybe by the time this episode airs, it'll be announced. So that's why uh, I won't be able to do many things other than working on this thing that I can't announce. All right, let's take a break. You put Raku. Everyone loves Raku. Raku's good. You know, if you put Raku in Las Vegas up against, if it was in Los Angeles, how would it do? They actually were here. So they had a place called Operia Raku on La Cienega and and. You know what's crazy? They were the best as a guy. That was the part. I was like, they were the best as a guy in the city. And it was from Vegas. And I was like, dude, I got to go visit the original. And then I went and visited. And I was like, it's so good. And I couldn't believe it. So like, yeah, they they had the best as a guy in LA. And then they closed up shop because I, I think the pandemic kind of shut them down. But um, yeah. You know, did some work here. Hold on. Before I, I, I go, I have to talk about this. Chinese food. Cantonese high-end. I don't even know what Bistro 1968 is from Los Angeles. That's uh, that's an SUV. It opened fairly recently, but it's like a high-end Cantonese restaurant that does like seafood dishes and you know private you know private selection. Stuff. I, I, I'm a big fan of Red Plate and the Cosmo. Uh, I'm going there. Sea Harbor's good, but is it that good? You know what's crazy? I've never felt like Sea Harbor was that good. You know what I mean? Like I'd go there and I, it's like, oh, it's nice, 
it's like not offensive, but I'm not like, oh, wow, I got to go back there. There's dim sum in LA. I, I'm going to say, I think I've had better dim sum in Las Vegas. I, 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 I don't think disagree. dim sum is what SGV is known for. Yeah, that's fair. Casual, uh, the, the roast meats, Cantonese roast meats, I will give it to Ruby's. And if they don't give you the container of sauce, like big fucking deal. <laughs> Sichuan food, I'll give to Los Angeles as well. I've been to Chengdu Taste. It's okay. They have Shanghainese restaurants. Everything is fine, but the Chinese restaurant is much better in the casinos, in my opinion. Hand pull noodles. Huh? I got to say, I think Beijing noodle number nine is pretty fucking good in, in, in Caesars. Land noodles really good in LA. Peking duck. Jirong is really good. I think Jirong in Los Angeles doesn't get enough credit for its other food. And here's what I, this is a hot take about Jirong in Los Angeles. The Peking duck, I think, is better, is the best Peking duck in Los Angeles, but I think the other foods that Jirong makes is better than the Peking duck. What what dishes? Everything. Everything at Jirong is so fucking good. And listen, the Peking duck is great, but maybe I'm just over-indexing because every time I eat the other dishes, which is, you know, hundreds of dishes, I've never had a stinker. They've always been super good. So, um, Mot 32... I can only identify two things. One is the the Peking duck, very good, and the their Cantonese weird fusion version of the classic Sichuan clear fish pickled cabbage soup, which is some uh, Ying and I have talked about it a lot. That is some weird version of a dish that is should be terrible, but it's fucking good. And they don't need my business, my third juice pack, but I don't like any of their chashus. Whoa, that's a hot take because my third juice chashu is very popular. Popular doesn't mean fucking good. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, a former president that's very popular that's not very fucking good. Just compare Mop 32 Josh you to Donald Trump. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't fucking say that. I'm just saying Mop 32 has only two dishes that I think are fucking super good. Right. I'm not saying that they're not good. Everything else isn't good. But those two are, I think, top tier for Las Vegas. It's a good matchup, Las Vegas, Los Angeles. But I'm, 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 I think you're going to have more quality meals in Las Vegas. Well, they do have the most restaurants per capita uh, in the United States with 666 restaurants per 100,000 people. So that's like the highest number of restaurants per capita in Las Vegas. And obviously, like you said, it's very packed in. You, d- you have so many options within like walking distance. Like a I would say too, the Thai food in Vegas is better than the Thai food in LA. And the Thai food in LA is amazing. But a lot of the Thai food restaurants in LA are moving to Las Vegas. I'm sorry. I spent a lot of time in East Hollywood and I cannot vouch for that. Like, that is no, sir. No, Listen, sir. I, I'm siding with all the Thai people in Las Vegas, in, in the state of Nevada. I'm with you, folks. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I don't think that the Thai food in Los Angeles is amazing. It is, but I'm simply saying this to piss off some people oh. by accident. <laughs> Remember, any take of Matt Pro Football Food Weekly, you cannot stick to me. <laughs> it's an opinion about football and food during that game, in and of itself. I need to cool off. Thai food in Las Vegas over Hollywood? Why not? Do you know how many noodle shops are in Hollywood? Like, oh why not? Why not? Oh my God. Find one duck noodle soup in, Thai, in in Las Vegas that's like better than Red Dead. One bowl of noodles that's better than the jade noodles at... Uh... See, it's, it's, it's not it's something you can't even remember. Oh my God. I didn't think you were going to drop that bomb. Like what? That's, that is so out of the realm of like possibility. There is a very large Thai population in Nevada. 
and they make delicious food. And I'm going to give a shout out to the Off the Strip. There's so many people that live and work in Las Vegas that don't live on the Strip. Clearly, they live elsewhere in the area. And, you know, I'm not an expert in it, but again, (laughs) everyone says that all the restaurants and all the eating is fucking amazing. So uh, shout out to all of Las Vegas for its eating. All right. All right, guys. Well, again, check out Thursday Night Football. Uh, Hope you guys enjoy the piece that we recorded at the Cosmopolitan Wicked Spoon. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 